Blog Talk Radio. There's a direct relationship between having the businesses and being in prison. Go find an, see how many Asians you can find in American prisons. They ain't going to be in there. But 51% of your prison will be black because you don't, blacks don't have any businesses and industries. There's a direct link. Blacks won't practice group economics. Blacks won't practice group politics. If you don't practice, you're setting yourself up. I told that five-story building. You're setting yourself to get wiped out. Understand the nature of race, which is economics. If you, if you build the first floor, it's economic. Build your businesses and your industries. Control buildings and industry, and put that pools in your money. And hold that money. And, it's a, and practice group economics <clears throat> with it. Arab and Asian money bounces 12 or 13 times for at least. Jewish money bounces 18 times. Black folk got to learn how to practice group economics. Black Americans spend every penny they get outside their own community. Then you take the money and the wealth that you get from that first floor and go to the second floor. The second floor is politics. You then take that money on the first floor and you control your politics. Black folk must quit allowing people to tell them to go out and vote. Vote for what? Nobody's going to do anything for black folk in politics. Politics is controlled by money. Major corporations who got the money. That's what controls politics. If you have no money, you have no say-so, you have no benefits coming. So you take your money and you control and you take your money on the first floor, you buy every politician on the second floor. And any politician you can't buy, you rent or lease them to get what you need. Then once you get the second floor under control with the politician, with your money, then you go to the third floor. The third floor is then is the police department and the court system. You take your money from the first floor and your politics on the second floor and you control the court system and the police department. Then the fourth floor, you t- the fourth floor then is media. You then take the money that you generate off the first floor from business and industries <clears throat> and you go after radio stations, TV stations, newspapers, and cable systems so that you can now inform and communicate with your own people. Right now, <clears throat> black folk only control less than 35 thousandths of 1% of the media in the United States. Out of 12,000 radio stations, black folk own about something like about 75 or 80. That's all. You own no cable systems. You don't have a daily newspaper. You have nothing of importance. You don't. You got about one black TV station. And you, so you can't communicate with your people. You can't inform your people. You can't do anything. You can have Rush Limbaugh and all the rest of the guys talking about racism all day long and bad-mouthing you and O'Reilly. They can talk, call black folk all kind of names all day long. What are you going to do? You can't respond. You can't even communicate with your own people because you, you don't have an economic base. 51% of all the prisons in the United States are black people. You know, even though you only make up 12% of the population. That's no accident. It's because you don't control the economics and the politics. And they're going to go after the weakest people they can get their hands on to incarcerate them. That's the black folk. And what are you going to do in response to them when they, when they, when they over incarcerate you? You're going to go out and have a march, a demonstration. We're going to march. March for what? Who cares? Marches never changed anything.
Then it's time for another installment of This My House Today's podcast is titled Intentional Community Plan B and Plan C. Once again, the title is Intentional Communities Plan B and Plan C. Uh, to set this up, we're going to play an audio. Oh, wait a minute. I just had it. Oh, here we go. Um, this comes out of Detroit. Um, it's titled The Ten Worst Neighborhoods in Detroit, but it could be anywhere. The Ten Worst Places Anywhere. So anyway, let's play this audio, then we'll get back. This is the setup for our um, topic, Intentional Communities, Plan B and Plan C, 619-768-2945. Hey, welcome back to the channel, everyone. It's time to talk about the elephant in the country, Detroit, Michigan. Unless you've been in a coma for 20 years, you know Detroit has seen some dark times. Detroit was once a booming auto manufacturing city. That's how it got its nickname, the Motor City. The boom started to fizzle in the 1980s when some CEO types decided they could turn a quicker buck by shipping American jobs overseas. Now this left the auto workers high and dry. And this is known in the business world as a dick move. Detroit in the last few years has been trying to make a comeback. And they've got a long road to go. They've got some scary neighborhoods they need to fix. And that's what this list is all about, the bad neighborhoods. Quick disclaimer, this list is done by stats alone. We're just going by stats on this one. And another thing, most people in Detroit like to refer to the neighborhoods by their cross streets, the major streets. I'm going to actually use the name of the neighborhood. So in case you want to look it up later on, you can. It's easier to find that way. It's next to impossible to find these neighborhoods by their cross streets. So let's get going. Here's my top 10 worst neighborhoods in Detroit. Number 10, Boynton Oakwood Heights. Boynton and Oakwood Heights are the southernmost neighborhoods of the city of Detroit. Now, there's two separate neighborhoods, but most people kind of see them as one, and they both suck. These places bump right up against an industrial area, and of course, this has raised some health concern for the residents living in Boynton Oakwood Heights for years. This, like so many other neighborhoods in Detroit, has seen a mass exodus from these areas. People just don't live there anymore. They move out. They have about 800 vacant homes right now. The banks don't even put up for sale signs anymore. The people have been taking them down and using them to heat their homes in the winter. It scores an F in all categories, but cost a living, of course, because if no one wants to live there, it's pretty cheap to live there. Here's some fun facts. The overall crime rate in Boynton Oakwood Heights is 209% higher than the national average, and the unemployment rate is 94% higher than the national average. Number 9, Riverdale. Riverdale is in the northwest section of Detroit. This Riverdale is not like the Riverdale you see on that cheesy, archy comic mutation on the CW these days. This place is dirty, it's dangerous, and it's depressing. This is the type of place you move to if your life really hasn't worked out for you and you've just given up. Here's some good news. You can get a house on the cheap. Here's a screenshot from Zillow. That one for 6 k Yeah, you're probably going to have to move the body of the old owner yourself for that price. I can't believe you can buy a house for $6,000. Here's some fun facts. The overall crime rate in Riverdale is 227% higher than the national average. This one is startling. Only 66% of the people in Riverdale have completed the 8th grade. Wow. Number 8. Griggsdale. Across from the Palmer Park Golf Course is one of Detroit's most run-down neighborhoods. Griggsdale. And I'm sorry if I'm pronouncing that wrong. I'm not from there. This list is done basically off stats and news reports. The only reason you go here to Griggsdale is if you're bargain shopping for hookers. Some streets, such as Robinwood, are more than 80% abandoned and often the target of arson. Not even arson for insurance, arson for fun or warmth. Here's some fun facts. The unemployment in Griggsdale is 244% higher than the national average. The average rent ask is 48% lower than the national average. Number seven, Carbon Works. Besides having a very industrial-sounding name, Carbon Works residents share their little piece of heaven with the Detroit Water and Sewage Plant and is across the Rogue River from the ever-so-toxic Zug Island. Most towns pray for good weather, good schools, low crime. 
CarbonWorks residents just pray the wind doesn't change direction while they're eating. Here's some fun facts. The overall crime rate in CarbonWorks is 252% higher than the national average. The unemployment rate in CarbonWorks is 72% higher than the national average. Number 6. Briggs. Briggs is a nightmare. Now, this is the neighborhood in Detroit called Briggs. Not me. Now, I'm sure if you talked to anyone I dated back in the day, they'd probably say I was a nightmare too. But this video is about my problems. It's about Detroit's problems. Briggs is also known as North Cork Town, or it's kind of next to North Cork Town. They kind of bleed into one another. The first thing you notice about Briggs is the strange amount of open land. Detroit started bulldozing vacant houses some years back, and Briggs was filled with them. So now you have, like, one house on a block that used to hold, like, 20. The rest is just empty fields. It's, it's really eerie, and it's really strange-looking. I encourage you to Google map it. It's pretty weird. Here's some fun facts. The overall crime rate in Briggs is 263% higher than the national average. There's hardly anyone there. Who's committing all these crimes? The average home price in Briggs is 88% lower than the national average. See? Cheap land. That's one bright spot about Briggs. This place a nightmare. Number 5. Pole Town East. Pole Town was named after the Polish immigrants who originally lived in the area. That it almost sounds like a racial slur, Pole Town. But I guess Poles even call themselves Poles, so I guess it's okay. Maybe not. Moving on. A portion of the residential area known as Pole Town became General Motors' Detroit assembly plant in 1981, with those residents being relocated by General Motors. And the city of Detroit claimed eminent domain took over the land. The plant is still there and employs 1,800 people. It did add an additional 1,200 jobs back in 2015, but then eliminated them like 12 months later. Now, this is another neighborhood filled with vacant lots. It's one of those ones you see like two houses where there used to be 20, and the rest is just, you know, growth. It's not even like building growth, like bushes and stuff. You'd be surprised what you find in those bushes. Here's some fun facts. The overall crime rate in Pole Town East is 218% higher than the national average, and the unemployment rate in Pole Town East is 175% higher than the national average. Number four, Springwells Village. Springwells Village is a neighborhood in southwestern Detroit near the Ford Motor Company plant. Blah, blah, blah. Let's get in the meat and potatoes of this place. It's right up the road from Carbon Works, and I'm sure with the right wind, you can catch a glorious whiff of the sewage plant. I read an article about the neighborhood and the smell of the sewage plant. This lady claimed that only out-of-town people even notice the smell. Now, that's kind of like some kind of Stockholm Syndrome or something like that. She's just gotten used to it, and you've learned to live with it and you start sympathizing with the sewage plant. It's weird. If you look at this neighborhood, it doesn't look that bad compared to some of the other areas that I've shown you. They do have the vacant lots, not as many. They do have a whole lot of boarded up houses, not as many as some of the other places, but it still has a lot of crime. A lot of those crimes are burglaries, robberies, and like home invasions. And basically, since this is one of the better neighborhoods of the bad neighborhoods, I think they're drawn in more crime. This is just my opinion. I think they're probably drawn in more crime from the outside area to this area. I saw some videos on crime that was going on there. It's, it's pretty bad, especially for the elderly. Here's some fun facts. The overall crime rate in Springwells is 246% higher than the national average. The median household income in Springwells is 45% lower than the national average. Here's a staggering, staggering stat. Only 50.9% of the people in Springwell have completed the eighth grade. Wow. Number three, Northwest Goldberg. Normally when something has the word gold in it, it's a good thing. This place ain't normal. Far from it. This place is run down to say the least. Take a look at this place on Google Street View. And by the way, that's the only way I recommend anyone experience Northwest Goldberg. The area is home to the Motown Museum, and it has the Henry Ford Hospital on its border, which is an impressive building. Take a look at that, again, on Google Street View. Still, I find it hard to believe that anyone still lives here. I did come across a website that said it's getting better in Northwest Goldberg, and someday we'll return to a great place to raise kids. Eh, someday, maybe. Today, not so much. Most kids today in Northwest Goldberg 
don't get a bedtime story. Instead, they get their Miranda rights read in the back of a patrol car. Good times in Goldberg. Here's some fun facts. The overall crime rate in Northwest Goldberg is 246% higher than the national average, and the unemployment rate in Northwest Goldberg is 96% higher than the national average. Woo! Number two, State Fairgrounds and Chaldean Town. These two are right next to each other and are both hell holes. The State Fairgrounds has almost no residents but plenty of crime, and Chaldean Town used to have a good-sized Chaldean community, so they named the neighborhood after them. It's now known as North Town by some, seeing that most of the Chaldeans have skipped town. Today, most of the homes and businesses are vacant and need to be torn down, but are mostly boarded up or burnt out. This place is a step above a ghost town. So bad that maybe that show Ghost Hunters could do an episode or two here. I'd love to see that episode, as they try and contact the ghost of Maurice the Crackhead, talk to him for about a half hour. That would be terrific. Here's some fun facts. The overall crime rate in Chaldean Town and State Fairgrounds is 282% higher than the national average. Nice going. The unemployment rate in Chaldean Town is 184% higher than the national average. Words of advice. Don't go here. And number one, Petowski Otsego. Petowski Otsego is one of those places that nobody ever tells you that's where they're from. I came across some videos about how you can get cheap houses here from the government or from the city of Detroit. And in all the videos, they never say it's in Petowski Otsego. They always say things like it's a with a view of this neighborhood or walking distance from this neighborhood, a half a mile from this neighborhood. They never mention the neighborhood. And for good reason. Areavibes.com gave it the lowest score I have ever seen, a 41. And it says it's barely livable. I saw another one that was barely livable, but at least that one had like a 46 score. This one's a 41. And that's not good. The street view on Google Maps is depressing to say the least. When I look at it, I think to myself, oh, that's what our country will look like if our government ever collapses. The best way to describe this place is eyesore. Now, I said that they're trying to sell these houses, and they sell them for really cheap. Here's some quick snapshots of the Zillow page for Towski Otsego. Them some low prices, but I don't think it's worth it. This place is dangerous. I actually feel sorry for the residents of the place. I feel sorry for a lot of the residents, a lot of these neighborhoods. I don't feel sorry for, like, the homeless and the criminals that live there. They chose this place. Some of these poor people are elderly, and they've lived there forever, and they've got no way out. They've just hoped for the best. And that's, that's the most depressing part about this. Here's some fun facts. The overall crime rate in Petowski Otsego is 252% higher than the national average. This is a small neighborhood. The unemployment rate in Petowski Otsego is 195% higher than the national average. They've got like 5,000 residents, and I think 12 of them have jobs, if I'm reading this correctly. It's not that bad, but pretty close. All right, everyone, that's my top 10 worst neighborhoods in Detroit. I hope you enjoyed it. hope you got some information out of it. hope you got some laughs out of it. Now, this one was requested for a very long time, and I put it off for a long time because I've never been to Detroit. This whole video was statistically driven. I went by stats only. So I'm sure people from Detroit or that have some experience are going to have some complaints. Maybe the way I pronounced the neighborhood or you think this neighborhood should be before that neighborhood, whatever. Like I said, this one was statistically driven and I apologize if I mispronounced anything. I tried. The people of Detroit and the city of Detroit have been through the ringer over the last couple decades. Hopefully, they'll be able to pull themselves out of it. It's a great city with great people. Maybe someday. They deserve it. But as always, have a great night and be nice to each other. All right. Today's podcast, once again, is titled Intentional Communities, Plan B and Plan C. Live stream number 619-768-2945. Now, that last order we just played, the 10 worst cities in Detroit, that could have been the 10 worst cities in Toledo, 10 worst, uh, excuse me, 10 worst cities, I mean neighborhoods, excuse me, in Toledo, Ohio, Miami, Florida, Barcelona, Spain, Moscow, Russia. Uh, it could have been the 10 worst neighborhoods in any place on a global basis. The common denominator 
<clears throat> when it comes to a so-called, and I'm doing this in air quotes, bad neighborhood or the people that you might see in rent court slash landlord-tenant court, the people that you might see in housing court, the people that you might see, you know, to tell the truth in any court, bankruptcy court, the common denominator is, and this is most people's plan A, when it comes to living conditions, most people really don't even have a plan A when it comes to living, where where they are going to live. Typically, people that you see in rent court, landlord, tenant court, bankruptcy court, um, your various court systems, essentially have, although it goes on a case-by-case basis, well, let's let's restrict it to where they're physically living, you know, where they lay their heads down that night. <clears throat> but typically people that you see in these courts or somebody facing eviction for slow or non-payment of rent, facing foreclosure, typically these people live in a community where they have very little or zero social capital. Just an example of social capital, you know, if if you run behind on your rent, who do you know that you can say, you know, how many phone calls will it take you if you needed, um, you know what, let's say you just need to five bucks for a big man. That's what else. How many phone calls could you make? Do you would you have to make to get that five bucks for a big man? And let's say you was like, but yeah, he hadn't had nothing eaten two or three days, maybe four days. And when you make that phone call, you can say, "Look, so and so, man, I'm dead broke. I haven't eaten in three or four days. Can you spot me five dollars so I can buy a big man?" Because a lot of people need stuff, but they're afraid to call friends or relatives because they 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 don't have they feel they don't have that type of social capital where they can, you know, ask for five bucks for a Big Mac. So when we go up the food chain, you know, can you help me? I'm, I'm behind like two three months behind on my rent mortgage payment. You know, the lights are going. You know, go out. A lot of people. A lot of people go to pastors. Or faith-based organization, pastor, rabbi, imam, sheikh, whatever. Can you help me? My lights are about to go. That's why a lot of people go to Catholic charities. People, when it comes to living, their plan A really isn't a plan A that could really suit them in a crisis. And most people don't have a plan B. Already made plan B. Already made plan C. So let, let's go with intentional communities. Some people need, actually, I think everybody needs to be in an intentional community. But let's go to Wikipedia real quick and let's read about what is it, you know, what is an intentional community. An intentional community is a planned residential community designed from the start to have a high degree of social cohesion and teamwork. The typical person that you see in the social services office, they don't have that. Not when it comes to their daily living conditions. They didn't have that type of a plan. The members of an intentional community typically hold a common social, political, religious, or spiritual vision 
and often followed an alternative lifestyle. Now, it doesn't have to be all those things together. You know, it could be they all hold some type of social bond together. Or if it's religious, you know, hey, they could, you know, Roman Catholics who like to walk their dogs on Saturday mornings. That's a very specific group. But, hey, it's four or five of you or even a hundred of you, you can form a community out of that. You know, community of dog lovers who happen to be Catholic. Um, or spiritual vision. Now, you, you, it's easy to see with faith-based organizations, you know, Jewish, Islamic, even breakdowns that you got Sunni Muslims, Shiite Muslims, et cetera, et cetera. Nation of NOI, you know, different denominations, different sects. Um, but, you know, they meet once or twice a week for Bible school, faith-based studies or worship. Um, and alternative lifestyle, that could be, alternative lifestyle is a big term. You could, you know what, you want to live amongst people who do not, vegans. You might not want to live around people who are meteors. Um, typically, they share responsibilities and resources. Intentional communities include collective households, co-housing communities, co-living, eco-villages, monasteries, communes, survivalist retreats, kibbutzin, uh, ashrams, and housing cooperatives. New members of an intentional community are generally selected by the community's existing membership rather than by real estate agents or landowners if the land is not owned collectively by the community. Purpose of an intentional community. The purpose of an intentional communities vary in, in different communities. Uh, they may include sharing resources, creating family-oriented neighborhoods, uh, living ecologically, sustainable neighborhoods, such as an eco-village. Type of communities, such communities are, are secular. They have, uh, or others have spiritual bases. Uh, one common practice, uh, particularly uh, is uh, spiritual communities, uh, is, a communal, uh, is communal meals. Typically, there is a focus of egalitarian values, other themes, voluntary uh, simplicity, um, interpersonal growth, and self-sufficiency. And then they got different types of memberships, types of governance. It, 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 but most people don't have in their plan of living. They don't, because particularly in the United States, we're a lot of we're a nation of lone wolves. <clears throat> anyway, now the intentional community that a community that we we're working on with it's my house. And this, I'm just speaking from an LA point of view because. I'm sure people are working on different th different things based on different visions or whatever. The intentional communities that I prefer, that I put my money into in blood, sweat, and all that, are intentional communities where people don't like paying a high light bill, water bill, heating bill, Rent payment or mortgage payment. Matter of fact, the goal is to eliminate the electric bill, the heating bill, the water bill, and a rent and mortgage payment. If not immediately, very soon, or any payment on anything I just named are like ultra low, ultra low, on a monthly basis. Get people that pay ten to fifteen dollars a month. Elect, excuse me, yeah, electric bill, I prefer zero. Yet I still want power for lights, 
and internet connection, etc. Okay. But I get it through sewing. I, I, you know, I, I, that, that's, so that's the crowd of people. We're, we're setting up our, our intentional communities basically for people who want to dramatically lower or eliminate their electric, water, and heating. And rent, zero out rent and zero out of mortgage payment. Those are the type of intensive communities that we'll be setting up or in the process of setting up. Um, let me give an ex- uh, example of an, uh, um, and for some people, that are starting over, for some people that are starting over that might be homeless, or you might, you know what, you're living in a place you're doing all right, but you just want to get a breather on those bills, those household expenses. These type of intentional communities, uh, and it, like I say, it, they're different types in different locations. Um, some you might catch in the urban area. Uh, the better ones, in my opinion, are in rural areas. Now, one place um, where the people got together, and there's some places in the United States like this. You, you have you have a lot of homesteaders that are into the, you know. But for a community, because homestead is typically family-based, uh, there's one place in Germany. Oh, in Ithaca, New York, is an intentional community. There's a bunch of them in the United States, but uh, one I'm reading about right now is in Feldheim, Germany. 100% uh, Feldheim, Germany operates on 100% renewable energy. 100%. They have 145 people that live in Feldheim, Germany. That's a place where probably, you know, everybody knows everybody. And they organize that. And and that's what's popping up. You have people that, um, you know, for some people that might be living in, like Denver, you know, economically, you just – Denver's not you're not cutting it in Denver economically because of these your utility bills kicking your butt every month year round, and then you got this rental mortgage payment. It's expensive. You might there. Trust me, there are people in all fifty states that are opting out, dropping off the grid voluntarily. And going and forming intentional communities based on household expenses, primarily the household energy expenses and the rent and monthly payments. Yeah, that's the market I deal with. Now you got a bunch of them that are in cars, some are living in cars voluntarily, some are living involuntarily, vans. You have some families that, the movie that I've mentioned on here a few times, 99 Homes, you have a lot of them that are living in residential motels. And if they ever got together and talked, they can move out, they can buy a piece of land and, and set up their own community. Off-grid community, and that that's happening, and this is going around on a global basis, particularly in Western countries. But we're in the United States. Well, I'm in the United States right now. So, but for so for many people, that might be your plan C or plan B. So here's what I'm putting out here. This is why I said intentional communities plan. What happens? Let's say you're comfortable right now. You know, the jobs, everything's going good with the jobs, and, 
You know, he got the bills paid, and you're comfortable. But that comfort might not be around in 12 months from now, 24 months from now, 60 months from now. What happens if your world economically turns upside down? What's your plan B? If you live in a place like Los Angeles, California, which is expensive, you're comfortable now. What's your plan B if you can no longer afford to stay in Los Angeles? What's your plan B? If you're in a relationship and it goes south, what's your plan B economically? Plan B could mean, all right, where will will you move that you can afford to move to and then be sustainable? Have a sustainable lifestyle in in the plan B location. Now, the United States is, is pretty vast, or the, the North American continent is very vast. So there are loads of places that you, you can have a plan B on the North American continent. Um, with some plan Bs, for you to be sustainable on a living basis, you might have to go to a community where they speak another language. If you only speak one language right now, what's the language, the dominant language, or the sole language in many cases, in your plan B geographical location? Do you need to start learning Spanish? Or Russian? Or whatever? You know, you you got a lot of back-to-African people uh, in the African-American community here in the United States. Well, you know, Africans uh, are essentially prolific. They're probably the most prolific linguists on the planet. There's nothing for many of it, a native-born African to speak um, four or five different languages fluently. So let's say you want to go, you don't, you, you're on this back to Africa trip, and you don't end up in South Africa where you know you have a lot of English speakers, and you, you wind up in a place where you're going to have to learn the native tongue. You got any place in mind? So, you know, you might, you know, what skill set do you have? Do you have a portable profession? that you can uproot and move to another part of the United States or move to another part of the world and you won't miss a beat, portable profession. Those are things that you need to think about with what's your plan B. Language, housing, we're talking about the fundamentals here. Money. There, there's some places that you know you might end up at, and let's say you got a million dollars, a million dollars in cash, but your money ain't spending in this neck of the woods, whatever part of the world that you end up in. That happens now. You can take, matter of fact, the British pound and the euro, those two currencies are stronger than the United States dollar. I can go into several neighborhoods right here in the United States, storefronts, department stores, McDonald's, or the man on or woman on the street, and if they're selling something and I can pull out a euro a, a British pound or a euro and say, Can I pay for this? Whatever with this euro, and I'm I'm pretty sure 95 to 99.9 percent of the people that I run into will refuse the euro or the British pound, mainly because they don't know what the hell it is, or know know what to do with it. I'll put it that way: know what to do with it. Hell, I would accept it because I know how to exchange that. 
or just keep it. And the next time I'm in the UK or someplace in Europe or a place where they, they accept the euro or the pound, that's what I would do. But most people don't recognize or use foreign currencies. Uh, that you know, some some cultures that you step into, you know, they like if you go to the Caribbean, a lot of places in the Caribbean, like a place like um, Barbados, right off the top of my head, and probably Jamaica too. You know, you can go to it with dollars and pounds uh, and Canadian dollars because you have a lot of people from those countries uh, that come to those locations and they trade. So the locals will. You know they'll look you up. You know they'll they'll they'll, they'll do business with you. But in any event, you might not never meet need a plan B or C. I'm just saying that it'll be helpful to have one. For those of you who are having problems right now with a plan A, we're talking about where you're living. I would suggest starting an intentional. It visit, you know, visit some intentional communities that are on your page or on your wavelength. Because there's the goddamn all different types. They're all different types. Like I said, some are based on spiritual or religious needs. Uh, some are based on household energy. Some are based on um, they want to live in an area where there's less government. Um, somewhat that sense of community, particularly people who have like smaller children, um, and we can build up social capital relatively fast. They're all different types, you know. Eco village, alternative medicines. This is mind-boggling. The different type of intentional communities, but the thing is, it's an intentional community where, like I say. Everything, probably everything you need is within that community. And there's a bunch of them all over the, all over the globe, and you're, you're having more and more people do those. Just from a tiny house point of view, because uh, that, that trend is, is like a global type thing. I know a couple of events I went to in um, Vermont, you had people that, one lady came up from Chile, from Chile and South America all the way up to Vermont, which is where we were at in Vermont was knocking at the Canadian border. She made that trade, learned something about time. It was about 50 of us. This was a couple of years ago. And we got together for about three, four days. You know, just on building tiny structures. But there are other people that are going beyond that. They're actually, you know what, let's get a plot of land together and have our own community. Or some people that might have land, they're opening it up to other people that want to have, you know, they want to step into that. There's uh, so many combinations out here. But in any event, do you have a plan B or plan C? Check out, uh, like I say, read up on uh, and watch some videos on Intentional communities. There's a bunch of them out there, uh, and then do what you need to do, uh, or start your own. Or start your own. Uh, in the African American community, a lot of the black townships. That's why they were formed. The black townships were essentially um, a social movement of former slaves that wanted to live in towns where they would be left alone, be free of the threats of racial violence. And many of them were still around. I mean, they're all through the entire Western Hemisphere. Canada, United States, Central America, South America. Those are intentional communities also. Uh, residential communities. That's the key with intentional communities. You have to have a residential element to it. But you can take a church, any old church, 
man, they can start something of their own. Um, because there's a need there. Because a lot of people are going to pastor, but a lot of times pastor doesn't know how to help you, other than pray for you and ask for the ten percent. Three fourteen area code. Your mic is open. What's going on, LA? Uh, election day. Yeah, I'm down here in Baton Rouge, man. It's hot as heck. I came down here to vote. Mm. That's a long way to go to vote. <laughs> well, now yeah, you can so do it uh, through the mail. No, I, yeah, I could, but I come down here to hang out. Well, not hang out. I, you know, I got a copy here in LA. I'm sorry, Baton Rouge. <laughs> oh, okay. You know, my grandson goes to school. I well bought a condo. Since he's gonna be going for a long time, he plays baseball down here too. Oh, okay, all right. No, you're away. Like say it's hot down there. I I don't like hot weather. I like cooler weather myself, but that's me. Well, I like hot weather, and sometimes I and what the weather's changing up north. Was getting down in the thirties. I kind of yes, like to get away from that. But no, that was an interesting piece. On I've heard that before on Detroit, and it's it's a sad case, but that's just the way it is. If you uh, there's a combination of things that you have to do in order to get your life where you can position yourself in order to take advantage of opportunities or create opportunities more so. Right. I like creating opportunities myself. But you should also yeah, should yeah, be able too. to take advantage. Well, one of those, hmm? the reason why I played that Detroit piece, because a lot of people that are living in those neighborhoods are living in neighborhoods that, that this is a group of people. Uh, they probably don't. They have little or no social capital with other people on the block. That's why those those neighborhoods can be run and go downhill. They can be gentrified because it's a group, it's a collection of people living in the same geographical location, but there's no social cohesion. There's no intention there. I mean, no no group intention. Yeah, and a lot right. of these people, they need to be educated and form their intention, you know, form intentional community. But a lot of them go through life with, I mean, the closest they might get would be a church service or Bible study during the week, something like that. But a lot of times, there's some black churches that have uh, rental properties or apartment buildings, but many times, the people that they're running to are not members of the congregation. There are some exceptions, though. Because I know I went to, uh, well, this was out of the country last year. Um, this Seventh-day Adventist organization, they had a little compound, and most of the church employees lived in, you know, Residences that they had at this particular place Not all of them But a good portion of them Well Detroit has done And and Detroit Hasn't just got this way Because I remember Back in the early 90s uh, You know when a lot of that industry left You would see uh, Those old factories that's abandoned, abandoned property, the windows broken out, so on, so on, so on. But that's not going to come back unless you have private dollars coming in there and do it. You know, the first right. uh, black American city of St. Louis, Freeman Bosley, was contemplating on running. And that was in 1994, maybe 93. We sat down with him with some more, you know, contracts, and we told him what we needed to have done. And we would, uh, you know, throw some money his way. He was married, and you had Burvis Jones, who was the first black controller. 
he was also enough of letting on what needs to be done. So when uh, Bosley got elected uh, and Jones got elected, you know, Jones done a study on discrimination in contractors being utilized by the city of St. Louis, which caused a... uh, an act to be put in place. The uh, I can't think what to call it. It's, it's, a, it's, a hard, it's not an ordinance, but it is an ordinance. And uh, Bosley done what he was supposed to. I think I had erected either eight or eleven schools in the St. Louis Public School District. And the school district, the school board, done the same thing as they uh, set in their specification what had to be done. So that's the way. If you're going to get something out of politicians, see, I don't care who votes for the guy. You can vote for your politician all day long, and our business money would come by him from under you because all you do is vote. And they need you to perform some footwork. But for them to be positioned so that you perform footwork in their behalf, they need money. They need dollars. And without the dollars, then they don't show up on the ballot. And the people that put up the dollars that allow them to show up on the ballot has control of the politicians that you vote for. That's the way it is. And I don't yep. understand. I wish why that point. I wish I wish more African Americans would understand that point. I call that access voting. Support the candidate with dollars before their name even gets on the ballot box. That's right. Uh, for the for the people that vote, they come up with programs like midnight basketball and uh, you know things along that line. But a politician cannot turn a neighborhood into a regentrified neighborhood. That takes investors' dollars, private dollars, and usually it may be matched by some perks that come from the city coffers, like uh, sewage uh, infrastructure as far as sewage lines is concerned, uh, some road paving, but uh, and maybe some TIF finance, tax incremental financing. But beyond that, that comes from private hands, and without the private hands, it's not going to get done. I mean, quite it's right. quite obvious. You, you may mention that these cities, these cities have been sitting there forever, and you've had black uh, people in elected positions, but don't nothing get done. Just because you elected, that don't mean that people are going to come and put their money in place in order for these things to, to make change. And it takes more, and, and then things that they consider when they decide to, make those investments is the nature of the people that's going to be living in these areas. Can you afford tax base? Can you afford the retail items that's going to be sold in the stores that they, in fact, put in stores? Can you pay for the housing, that uh, the design housing that they're putting in? Because uh, they have to put in a house that's going to attract a certain market whereas they can be able to derive profits out of their investment. Uh, you know, to some point, if you can find an investment that will pay you back more than what you would receive if you just kept your money in the bank, then you can raise an eyebrow. But if it doesn't, right. yeah, keep your money in the bank. So I didn't want right. to add that. Mm-hmm. That's true, and that that's something that oh yeah, that that information needs to trickle down to us on a critical mass basis. Some of us know it, but then others, uh, critical mass, uh, particularly you know, particularly you hear a black person might say uh, Obama didn't do anything for black people. Well, black people on a critical mass basis. Didn't do anything to help Obama. He, he, he get, didn't give Obama any private capital to work with. A politician is basically um, 
I mean, my definition of a politician is a person who basically they're a relationship broker or an information broker or a combination of the two. A lot of them know how the system, you know, wherever they might be, know how the system works and they can guide people through it. That's what a politician is. But a politician, a lot of these people think they're miracle workers. You know, you got to give, you got to give these people something to work with. Which in most cases is money. So, um, of course, there are rules and regulations for that. So, uh, but hopefully, we'll eventually get an aha moment on a critical mass basis and 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 get behind that. Well, it's uh, election day, so what I'm going to do is I'm going to. Um, let me see here. What's today? Tuesday? Yeah. Um, now as we close out, I want to say you, you, you might want to start your own private homestead as your plan B or plan C. Or you might consider creating and organizing a uh, – I'll give you a good example. Of an intentional community, there are many, unfortunately, mothers or parents who have lost a loved one to gun violence in an urbanized city. Those ladies or people, fathers too could decide, you know what, let's have, let's organize our own intentional community because I don't feel safe or comfortable living in these places, you know, in this particular city. Or take the case of um, the guy who got, I forgot his name, where the policeman went to the, allegedly, went to the wrong apartment, the apartment directly above hers, and and shot and killed the guy. You might not, that was in the Dallas, you know, Dallas area, Texas. You might not feel comfortable living in that building or a building like that or in Dallas or wherever, San Antonio, Noma, wherever it might be. So, if you if you hook up with some like-minded people and say, you know what, let you know what we feel, let's let's start our own community, and that's what's happening. Once again, that is what's happening on a daily basis. You have people, small groups of people. It could be two, three, four people, and they 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 start their own intentional community. Um, and this this is happening globally. As a matter of fact, it's always happening throughout the existence of mankind. It's like some people that they don't feel comfortable. Things are not working out with the more dominant society in that neck of woods during that period of time. And you know what? They they go someplace where they can coexist together with um you know. And be good with it. The Amish do it. Many Mennonites do it. But you don't have to be on a religious order. Like I said, you have vegans. All kind of people do it. So we'll be talking about more of that. And all of our offline projects uh, basically will be based on that. How to set up a homestead. You know, how to transition that. If you're living in a car, van, truck, whatever, shelter. That's what we have a school set up to basically educate you on what kind of lifestyle best suits you because there's recreational lifestyles, you know, recreational slash leisure lifestyles, it, it, you know, any homeschooling the whole nine. On that note, I'll let you guys get out and continue your day. Have a good rest of the day.